got a little frog in my throat today. Oh. It's all this sport commentary, mate. Shredded <laughs> it. Shredded my larynx. <laughs> anyway. Hello and welcome along to You Have Been Watching with Luke and Elliot, the podcast that invites a different guest each episode to choose some of their favourite telly shows. They'll be asked to pick four separate shows from each of our categories and a couple of bonus choices as well. Why? Because they've won our made-up competition to spend a weekend away at a luxurious travel lodge in the heart of Preston. Buenos dias. Oh, you caught me out with another language. <laughs> how are you? Como, um, something like, how are you in Spain? Gratis. <laughs> when when did I say that? No, it was grazie, wasn't it? When did I say that? Yes, we were in Spain and you kept saying grazie mele, grazie mele, which I think is thank you very much in Italian. Uh, yeah, we, we, <laughs> to we, a taxi driver. We were slightly drunk, weren't we? And I, I came out of this van. And it, it was like, you know, when I'm a celebrity get me out of here, they do the parachute jump. But it was this massive van for just the two of us. And I was saying, oh, grazie, grazie. No wonder he looks so... Uh, confused. Confused yeah. and uh, disappointed in us Brits. Grazie mele, grazie mele. <laughs> I thought I was being so polite. You see. Yeah, you were. We're going to jump straight into things today because we have a wonderful guest. We have a guest who is in our minds one of the greatest television sensations ever. Because we grew up with them. It really is an absolute goodie. Um, we love this guy. It's Ed Petrie, just to uh, keep the suspense going, which you know because you've clicked on it, if so. Yeah, why do people do that? Why do people on podcasts announce a guest? You haven't clicked on it blind. <laughs> well, well, uh, well, you could. A small percentage might have, and fair play. And welcome to them. Yeah, but they've got accessibility reading these days, don't they, where it speaks to you what you're about to click on. So that's even good. then, I don't think that that's, that's a thing. Mm, that's very good, that. Ed is an English actor, a comedian, a presenter. He's from Sussex. I happen to know he supports Crystal Palace FC. Oh, really? Oh, yes. How do you know that? Uh, because it's on his Wikipedia. Ah! <laughs> he was a researcher on the legendary game show They Think It's All Over. He appeared in Smack the Pony, Green Wing, and then he moved on to his CBBC days 2007 to 2010, and that was when we came in, and we loved him, didn't we? We did. We had a wonderful chat with Ed last year in the summer, I believe. He was having his... Uh... He was having his his kitchen done or something, so he had to stay in his brother's attic. That's right. As you do, as as one might have to. Now we talk uh, about his companion, his sidekick, Outcho, who is a puppet cactus, for anyone that's interested and doesn't know already. What? Yeah. He was a puppet? Mate, honestly. Oh, no. <laughs> what a monobrow. Best monobrow in showbiz. Not Ed, the, the cactus. The cacti. Yeah. Uh, and he presented loads of shows on CBC. He was a chief continuity guy, so he did all the links between the shows, and that's when it really came alive. We asked him lots of questions about that. It's a lot of a laugh, and there's a fantastic anecdote in there about Craig. <laughs> oh, it's a lot of laughs. <laughs>, a lot of laughs. <laughs> oh, it's a lorry load of fantastic laughs, this one. <laughs> Sit back, relax, and get ready to chuckle to your heart's content. It's a lorry load of fantastic laughs. <laughs> and don't forget, Ed and Alcher's excellent inventions which i'm not really sure what that was about but we did watch it and we enjoyed it i think it was just beyond my time actually oh yes well i got younger brothers maybe i'll stick yeah around. that makes sense <laughs> uh actually no i did see one episode once actually where i think he built a shed for someone okay potentially for a puppet or for a human no for a human there were no puppets involved apart from outro 
Oh, yeah, I suppose. With God, that outro's always stealing Ed's thunder. <laughs> yes, he is. But he grew out of Outro and he went on to present things like All Over the Place, Marrying Mum and Dad, and Princess Mirabelle in the new generation of CBBC. So he's a busy guy. You say that Outcho, you know, grew out of him. Yeah. <laughs> Outcho went, I think he's doing a Royal Shakespeare Company now. Yeah, he is. He's doing a Banquo. That <laughs> <laughs> couldn't even get a good role. <laughs> no, do you know what? I'd take Banquo. Always a sidekick, isn't it? So. Yeah, always a sidekick, never the bride. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, see. of bride. Ed is now a. Uh, is it a humanist? Yes. A wedding, a wedding marrier of humanist yes, tradition. Yes, he is. Well, we know this. It, yeah. We had the chat with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, very good. You'll, you'll enjoy all that and more and gossip about Greg Davies as well. Yep. That's fun. That's good. Lovely. Got our money's worth there. Sit back, <laughs> relax and enjoy uh, this wonderful, beautiful episode uh, with Ed Petrie. <laughs> So here on You Have Been Watching, we imagine that our special guest has won a weekend away to a hotel room in Preston, where all they can do is lie back and watch telly. They'll be choosing four of their favourite ever TV shows and we'll be hearing why they've chosen them and what it means to them. In amongst all that, we'll also ask them which television personality they want to spend their weekend with and what they'd like to eat. Our guest today is an idol of not just our childhood, but of so many others of our generation too. It is the one and only Ed Petrie. Hello, Ed. How are you? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us live from from an attic. <laughs> yes, my brother's attic. Yes. <laughs> now, He's Ed, not locked I'll... me in an attic. I, uh, I'm i uh, I'm having some building work done. No, that, that's fair enough. Our connection to you, Ed, goes back right to your, your CBC days, of course, 2007, 2010, roughly. That's the sort of, that was the golden period of you, Outro, of course. For anyone that doesn't know, I'm sure they will. He was a quite, um, I can't think of the word, famous is what I want to say. Well, yeah. So, ubi- the, ubiquitous puppet cat. I, I say angry. the most famous Angry, actor. yeah. Fantastic. Ed, that, that must have been an absolutely brilliant, brilliant time in your career. Towards the start of your career, I suppose, as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was uh, It was like pinch me, I'm dreaming days, really. Because uh, I, I, I was a real TV geek growing up. And uh, there wasn't a lot of choice because we only had four channels. So BBC Television Centre was, you know, Hollywood. And uh, and obviously, when you came back from school, you you had pretty limited options. So well, I grew up watching the Broom Cupboard with Philip Schofield and Andy Crane, Gordon the Gopher, Ed the Duck, all that stuff. So to to find myself like treading the that hallowed ground was pretty bloody amazing. <laughs> did you find yourself going in insane sometimes that you were just speaking to a, a cactus, or did you get a time to go? No, that is a real person somewhere in amongst all that. Yeah, I think I think we all went a bit insane, really, because you were like we were pumping it out five days a week. I think I got I think I got like three days off in a year, and then That's uh, mad. there was one. I remember there was one day like seven or seven or eight months in where I just woke up in the morning. I was like, oh, I can't get out of bed, so I I rang up and said, I don't, I don't know why, but I can't leave the house. I just feel completely broken. <laughs> Oh, the boss was like, never mind, have a day off. And then Outcho presents it on his own. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did wonder. <laughs> and I sat at home watching it going, oh, dear. This is, this is. I mean, Warwick, who puppeteered Outcho, still declares it was the best day they ever did. But uh, I've got I've got another opinion about that. But even on your day off, you were watching it. Yeah. Your day yeah, yeah. Well, I felt better by midday. Be I felt terrible that I hadn't gone in, but it was too late by then. <laughs> Uh, it's testament as well, I think, to your skill working with uh, a puppet that it really did feel like 
to sort of people, you know, and it's that is so hard to do. It's like when you see pictures of, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch or whatever, you know, doing a green screen film or something, and you've got to act with the tennis ball. I mean, it's not that dissimilar for you. I know you've got Warwick under the table, <laughs> but it's testament to that because it really felt like it was two people. That was 16 years ago as well. Now, yeah, oh, God, yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we were but embryos, yeah. You know? But how did you yeah. make it so convincing? Is it something you had to work on or, or did you just sort of get over the hump straight away that I've got to make it feel like there is two of us here? I think I'm just really childish and uh, I've got very, very strong memories of my childhood. Like I can remember my mum tells me that it must be nonsense, but it's not because I've got so many memories of it, like crawling and stuff like that. I can really remember being a small kid. And I think so I think I just held on to that kind of imaginative play. That's why I like acting and stuff as well. Cosplay. Pretend. Let's pretend. <laughs> Talk to us about uh, your BAFTA experiences. Of course, you've got the BAFTA nom for Best Children's Presenter. And you, I think you collected the BAFTA win for Best Children's Channel in 2008. Talk to us about that, you know, from a, a, a children's TV perspective. That must have been the, the creme de la creme for you. Oh, it was very exciting. Yeah. I mean, it, I'd been at Nickelodeon a couple of years. And I think I'd been to the BAFTA ceremony once. And then when I when I came to CBC, they just rebranded the whole channel. So they'd like sacked loads of the uh, presenters Lo- loads of the staff like gave me the cold shoulder and wouldn't talk to me because all their friends had been sacked <laughs> and oh, i just so like appeared hello everyone <laughs> you know, like, Who are you? go away but the boss was you know very keen on the rebrand and everything so they really pushed me to be nominated that i think it was that year or the year after and i felt terrible because i was up against like kirsten o'brien and a blue peter presenter and all, like all sorts of people who've been around for years and I was like, I should not be here. But it was very exciting to be nominated. And uh, I didn't win it, but I think I think they won Best Channel. So I went and picked up the BAFTA. The boss like dragged me up on stage and I had all my photos taken with it. And yeah, very exciting. And then I thought, oh, well, I guess I'll get nominated next year. Never got nominated again. <laughs> <laughs> not for not bitter, you know, and you would have deserved it as well. You're still presenting stuff for CBC, obviously. We've got All Over the Place, which is on its 10th series, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong there. And of course, Marrying Mum and Dad, which is the seventh series, I believe. And you are not, are you Mr. Turnbull in the Julia uh, Donaldson? Yeah, well, I'm doing more acting for them now. So, yeah, all over the place. And Mary and Dad recently got knocked on the head. But, um, yeah. Oh, Oh, well done. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. Oh, the pain, the pain. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, Ed. Yeah, it was a travel show and a show about weddings. So when COVID came along, I was like, well, those aren't happening anymore. But, uh, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Ed. Oh, oh don't worry about it. I've been watching clips. Pick up the well, I'm 45 years old now, so I was always, I was always thinking this cannot go on. This is ridiculous. Pretty much from the day I started, because I didn't, I didn't get my first job at Nickelodeon until I was 25. So when I started at CBC, I was 29. So I always felt like I was a bit too old for it. So I, I couldn't believe they kept employing me as a presenter. Really. So now I'm doing acting. I, I'm in Princess Mirabelle. And uh, Andy and the band as well. I did this year, which was good fun. So, and are they coming back? Are they still ongoing? Uh, Princess Mirabelle is not. Oh, please. Oh, oh, in the band. Is. Oh, I'm so, no. sorry. I'm a curse. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm going to springboard off marrying mum and dad just once, if I may, to say that you have sort of been so inspired, have you not, by the format and the idea of that, that you are actually a humanist wedding celebrant now, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, I uh, so I went to somebody who was extremely cynical about marriage and weddings, and like when me and me and my wife got married, we just had a tiny ceremony with like six people. We were didn't want to make a fuss, and uh, but then from going to all these ceremonies, doing marrying mum and dad, I just absolutely loved these humanist ceremonies where they with the 
you hear, I'm just basically just a very nosy person and you'd hear a big story about how the couple met and why they work and like quirky things about their relationship. And I just thought, yeah, I could do that. So yeah, I trained a few years ago and now I'm a, I'm a proper wedding celebrant, get people married. It's really oh, weird. Wow. And in the training, what, what, what sort of things do you have to learn that you couldn't do ordinarily without a certificate? Well, one of the first things they told, they told us in our training was it's not about you. Do not use the word I in your ceremony as because uh, obviously what attracts people who like standing up in front of people is quite often showing off so, <laughs> of that was a big thing to learn is like oh yeah this is not about me at all and it's about these two people getting married um so that was probably the best bit of advice i got i was so confused for the first half because i got humanist confused with naturist oh yeah i, I was oh, really I'll up for that i'll do i do that <laughs> i'll marry you both but i will be doing it naked <laughs> quite bloody right i've done same-sex weddings i had a i had a polyamorous uh no way. there was three people who wanted to get married to do a wedding ceremony i mean not legally married obviously but you know they wanted to do um do a ceremony did you have to just make three sets of speeches towards people or what did you go around in a circle what was it well, no, I didn't. I didn't end up getting the booking in the end because they didn't have enough money. Because uh, I think being in a polyamorous relationship is very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ed, if we get no other quote out of you today other than that, we'll, we'll take that. We've well, yeah. got to get a double bed and attach a twin to it. It's a real nightmare. Yeah, join yeah. accounts three ways. It's really yeah, absolutely yeah. mare. <laughs> yeah, it's an organisational nightmare by the sounds of it. There's one chief memory here for CBC we just want to bring up before we move on, which is again talk to you probably quite quite often about it's Guy Forbes. Oh, it's you, yes. it's Greg Davies. I oh, think yes. you've mentioned this before in your stand-up set. It, 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 my it, God, we yes. love this it, it, It's very rare that uh, we talk, we, we don't really quote TV too much, even no. though we love TV. But something we say so often is, we're, we're live. live, we're actually live. And <laughs> we do know the story behind this. I don't know if you can say it in, in any detail whatsoever, but it is so fantastic. The look of fear, everything about it is just crafted to perfection. It is a good, it is a good bit of tv that yeah well yeah, well it was a long time ago now wasn't it so i could probably tell the story it was uh yeah so it, i was a good mate of greg davies i did an edinburgh show with him and stuff and i was always trying to find excuses to get him on ed and out show and uh, so i think it was his second appearance for us we and watched the we dressed first up as the other guy. day which i seen was the dentist yes which we that got record mental. complaints for <laughs> Why did you get record complaints? Just really because it was Halloween, so we thought it'd be funny to have a scary dentist. Because me and Alcho used to eat a lot of cake, so the idea was we had like rotting teeth, and uh, the dentist was coming in, and then he he came. We were like playing um, the music from the Omen and stuff. Yeah, as he we came saw. In. Yeah, <laughs> we had the really angry parents emailing and going, "I find it hard enough to take my children to the dentist as it is." We had to change the script halfway through the afternoon because it was going like we were getting such complaints. I mean, we were making ourselves laugh a lot, but uh, it was highly inappropriate and irresponsible of us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so we decided, yeah, let's get him in again. So we yeah, got him in as Guy Fawkes, and we would when the when the shows were on. When, when I was a kid, I used to think that you know Philip Schofield would sit back and watch the cartoons. Obviously, he wasn't. He was trying to work out what the hell he was going to say next. And so we were like doing a little run through of all the things that the kids had been emailing in, and we must have done like a couple of them. And, uh, and then on our third run through, uh, we well, well, no, sorry, it wasn't a run through. We were live. Third time we were live, but Greg thought we were on a run through. And I only started to realize like halfway through that he wasn't. I was like, why is he not being as funny as he was in the rehearsal? I was like, oh, God, he doesn't realize he's live. And I hadn't been doing being on CBC that long. And I wasn't quite sure what to do. And uh, and the floor manager was desperately using like trying to signal with her hands that we were live. And then 
he did that quote you just uh, mentioned. We're, we're actually live. <laughs> and then we and, came I mean, off air. He was like, he was white as a sheet. His face was white. And I was like, it's okay, Greg. It's okay. It's it's fine. He goes, it's not fine. I nearly called that kid to see you next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like reading out some letters or something, weren't you? And yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. We're so in rehearsal. He would rehearsal. Do, he'd, do, he'd do it differently every time. And he was trying to make everybody in the gallery laugh. So he'd be saying like highly inappropriate things, but it didn't matter because we weren't live, you know. But any one of those things he said in rehearsal, if he said them live on air, I think I would have been thrown off CBC the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and you both may never have had the career you've had. Yeah, we we love that story so much. We really do. It's a, it's just it's just fantastic. And every time we've watched it since, it's just so much funnier with the layers of that context. It really, <laughs> really is. <laughs> Let's do it. Congratulations, Ed. You've won a luxury weekend break to the idyllic city of Preston, where you'll be spending all your time in the finest twin bedroom Preston's Travel Lodge has to offer. It's common knowledge that there's little to do in Preston other than to sit in bed all day and watch television. We hope you have a pleasant stay. So we're going to whisk you off to Preston Travel Lodge for a whole weekend and you're going to take with you a memory stick. On that memory stick, you're going to take four TV shows with you to watch throughout the entire weekend and you'll get a couple of bonus choices in there as well. So your first TV show is a TV show that makes you think of your childhood. Well, that would have to be. And um, may I say, I have actually stayed in the uh, the Premier Inn in Preston. Oh, on two occasions and uh it was very nice great pubs in preston as well so anyway uh yes so uh as a show that i used to watch in my childhood it would probably be weirdly red dwarf because when i was eight years old because my dad didn't like me being in the sitting room or <laughs> probably I'm anywhere finished that sentence. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was uh, gonna he, get quite dark yeah he bought he bought me uh bought me a tv to go in my bedroom so as soon as they put me to bed, I would I would like creep over, turn it on. And every time I heard my mum and dad come up the stairs, I'd turn it off. So I was watching all sorts of stuff that an eight-year-old shouldn't really be watching. And yeah, Red Dwarf was a firm favourite of mine. Yeah, it, and like just fell upon it one evening and was just captivated by... I think it's like the perfect situation comedy. It's just people trapped in space. I think the first five series... It's like I, I wondered whether I had overly fond memories of it. And so during lockdown, I, I watched it on Netflix and I couldn't believe how well the writing had stood up and the characters and everything. It hangs together so well. And I honestly think that the first five series are one, one of the best sitcoms ever made. And after that, it's Toilet. <laughs> People that love it absolutely love it, though. It's obviously such a cult hit. Um, it's Craig Charles, isn't it? And, and a really, really great Chris cast Barry, yeah. him. That's right. Um, yeah, it's an absolute cult hit, isn't it, for those that are in the know? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I loved sci-fi and stuff. I was a bit of a sci-fi nerd. But the brilliant thing about it is it's written by two people who hated sci-fi. <laughs> so it's like a parody of a sci-fi. And, like, and, they, and they made life really difficult for themselves. Like, they had rules like no aliens. So there's oh, no, never an alien. Aliens don't exist in Red Dwarf. So if you're, if you're setting something in space, you make life really difficult for yourself if you can't have an alien turning up. So what did they do? I've never seen uh, like uh, a full episode all the way through. I've only seen bits and bobs probably on Dave. So what do they have Definitely instead of yeah, instead of these aliens? What do they replace it with? Well, quite often there's some sort of genetically engineered project from millions of years ago. So if you don't know the, the premise of the show, so basically it's set far in the future in the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when people in the 1980s thought progress was going to be a lot faster than it actually turned out to be, there's a bunch of people on a mining ship, whatever that is, and they're yeah, going you know, back a to classic the, generic mining ship. Yeah, they're just mining stuff. 
just mining <laughs> stuff around the universe. And uh, this guy Lister has a has smuggled a cat on board, and you're not allowed to have a cat. So he gets put in suspended animation until he gets back to Earth as a punishment. And then there's a radiation leak on the ship, and everyone dies. And he doesn't come out of suspended animation until several million years later. By which time the the cat on the ship has evolved. <laughs> <laughs> the cat was pregnant and then it has evolved and so now the cat there's a person who is a is a cat yeah of course with him. keep going right yes yeah. so there's the the characters are the last human being alive um, a man who is actually a cat the <laughs> uh, ship's computer who's gone senile and uh That's good. yeah and uh and then his dead uh, cabin mate who was the person he liked least on the ship who <laughs> has come back as a hologram and then so they're all stuck together and that's and that's basically the premise that just stuck on this spaceship. The idea of a, a zeppelin just sort of floating aimlessly in the sky when there are crazy members on board is not that far away from you and Alto's transmission impossible. When I say, <laughs> God, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I was watching a clip the other day, doing a little bit of prep. It's not something I'd seen. I think we just missed it. We were sort of you know growing up fast transmission impossible, and yeah, it's actually very similar, Ed. So I don't know if that's subconscious. Yeah. <laughs> No, that might, that might, now you're, oh God, you're psychoanalyzing me. Maybe that, yeah. <laughs> No, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, they brought Red Dwarf back recently, didn't yeah. they? For a new series. I, I don't know if you've seen it. Did it stand up to the previous episodes or was it as dog shit from series Is six on? the toilet you're talking about? Yeah, I just like, series five had the most amazing, I don't want to spoil it in case you ever watch it. Series five had the most amazing ending, which would have been just the absolutely perfect way to end it. And then and then they just and then they just carried on and it turned into sort of like a, a space western basically where they they were suddenly they'd lost the ship and they were like flying around in a little ship trying to find it like it all got a bit more like adventure series and and took itself a little bit too seriously so after about a series or two of that I was like oh no I'm checking out and I haven't I didn't I haven't actually I haven't actually watched any of the new ones can't bring myself to but also I'm 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 such uh I'm so anal about TV so like his cabin mate is a hologram. But obviously Chris Barry is getting older. So Chris Barry is really fat and old now. <laughs> but the nerd in me is like, no, but he's a hologram and he wouldn't have got old. He should look like he did in 1988. And so uh, and that's not that's not believable. Like <laughs> Mr. Barry would quite like the work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, poor man. I mean, of course, he's he's aging like all of us. But yeah, so it just spoils the enjoyment for me. No, I get that. And in a way, I kind of like, Ed, that you've left it in your childhood as well there by not watching anymore because then it remains a perfect memory in a little time capsule of a box. I think that's lovely. Let's move on to your second TV choice. Uh, and this is a TV show that gets you laughing. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that would have to be, at the moment, um, Big Mouth. Have you seen Big Mouth? I haven't seen Big Mouth. This I've is this it, is yeah. the animation, isn't it? This is yeah. uh this is on Netflix. Yeah, no one's no one I know has seen it. <laughs> Sometimes that's not a bad thing at all, though. It could be a slow burner. Oh, but well, it's not apparently it's not a slow burner in America. It's uh, oh, right. I think it's, it's massive, Netflix's yeah. biggest animated series in America. Oh, no one over enough. here seems to watch it, and it is it's so funny and it's it's so rude. <laughs> and and what I love about it is it it captures a whole thing that that. Uh, I, I think I think my teenage years would have been vastly different if Big Mouth had existed because the it's it's about kids going through puberty and one of the main characters in it is a kid who just hasn't started puberty and all his friends ha have and that was me when I was a teenager I didn't start puberty till I was 15 years old and I didn't know what was going on and I was too embarrassed to talk to him about it 
and I think it massively affected my time as a teenager with just anxiety about it and stuff. And it, and it's all laid out in Big Mouth. And there's just there's so much like amongst the utter filth in that series. There's some there's just some great advice as well. It's a really good life enhancing show, I think. So you say it's an adult animation. Is it as rude on the level of your Family Guys or American Dad or something like that, or is it is it much worse? It's worse is it, is than it cruder? That. Oh, fantastic! So they re- <laughs> they really do go on awful. Oh, levels. do you think of anything to do with sex or uh, yeah, adolescence? It's it's all in there. All look, there's a there's a kid who who's constantly having sex with inanimate objects. He gets a cushion <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> it's all the things Greg Davis did in rehearsals. Basically, yeah, <laughs> in just one series. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it re- it's it's really puerile, but it's also it's really well written. But it is quite life enhancing as well. I think it, like it's why I'm enjoying seeing so many uh, gay characters in series stuff now. You get there's so many storylines storylines and stories that didn't get told in the 80s and 90s because people weren't sort of looking at that area of society or whatever. This is a whole like it's a rich mine of material that people just haven't really delved into because they I guess they were just too embarrassed. There is actually a character in it called the Shame Wizard. <laughs> like shames all the all the kids for all the dirty things they're thinking all the time that definitely sounds like you could have got a, a whole day's worth of links out of that back when you're cbbc days <laughs> uh yeah i could have been sacked 100 times over yeah <laughs> now that sounds good is it something that you could play in schools as a very risque thing oh to no do? You'd be, the teacher would be you'd sacked be, immediately right. no fair enough no, that, fair enough it's something they should play in schools because it's it's actually really educational and, and they, they have kind of written that apparently one of their one of their reasons for writing it was that they wanted to reach kids who like live in the bible belt and stuff who, who don't have access to sex education so it's got it's got stuff in it that's actually very useful if you're of that age so it is written for people of that age but their parents would be very angry if they caught them watching it yeah what an excellent tv pick it's funny it, it, it's worthy it's also serious it's educational that's Absolutely. lovely was there anything yeah, like, like me in many ways yeah yeah so <laughs> like you <laughs> Great. Let's move on to your first bonus choice then. Uh, This is the television personality that you're going to take to Preston with you uh, to spend your weekend with. It can be an actor, it can be a comedian, it can be someone from TV, it can be a character, but you're going to watch these shows together in Preston with them. Uh, That would have to be Diana Rigg in The Avengers. (laughs) <laughs> ah, okay. So this is, this is the younger Diana Rigg now. We obviously we're talking about, aren't we? Yes. Well, she's dead now, so I don't want to. I don't want to hang out in a travel lodge with her right now. Yeah. Dame, dame, dame to us. Yeah, yeah. quite right. Dame, dead dame Diana Rigg. <laughs> it's got a nice ring to it, hasn't it? The beats it? are great. Yeah, actually, it's not a nursery yeah. rhyme quality. Inspiration. So talk to us about your love for Diana Rigg. It does have to be specifically her in the Avengers, right? Yes. Well, she plays the role of Emma Peel which I, I did a very cursory uh, wiki search before this. And the reason she's, she's called Emma Peel <laughs> is because one of the bosses said they needed somebody with man appeal. And then it became M appeal. That's, so that's awful. Oh, that's what it's not even Emma as in E-M-M-A Peel. It's M dot Peel. But yeah, I think when the, in the development brief, in the development meetings or whatever, it got, it got reduced down to M appeal. And they were like, oh, hang on a minute. That works. So that's, that's awful, isn't it? <laughs> That's the sexist 1960s reason that she got that name. You can see that writer's room right now, can't they've you? That's genius. Yeah, they've got a Cuban on the go. <laughs> they've got all sorts going Actually, on. Actually, you mean a cigar and not a, a lady of the night. Oh, well, yeah, I wouldn't yeah, put it past yeah, these chaps. Yeah, it was the 60s. Yeah, she loved to smoke, actually. She, uh, she uh, up until nearly the day she died, she used to smoke 20 fags a day. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that's quite a good commitment. Oh, she was great. She was so in the in the 60s when she was making the Avengers, she was living with a divorce, a man who was still married, I think, who was trying to get a divorce, which obviously in those days was quite scandalous. She didn't give a shit. She was just <laughs> chuffing her fags and putting her cat suit on and going out with Patrick Mini and kicking villains in the throat. Uh, are we taking we're taking the character, we're not taking Dame Diana Rigg. No, I think that, yeah, taking the character because then she can wear she, she so that every every episode she had a uh, a different cool outfit so she wore a lot of like 60s jumpsuits which i used to think were amazing and is that it's that basically if anything made between about 1965 and 1968 whatever it is i love it people look <laughs> great uh, I, I love the the film stock that stuff was shot on then uh, tv was just becoming color so all colors really saturated and life looks amazing and there was they were showing a lot of that stuff on tv in the in the 80s and 90s when i was growing up so because it was cheap i guess they show a lot of it like at tea time on Channel 4 or BBC Two. So I used to grow up thinking like the best time to have ever lived would have been between 1966 and 1968. As an adult, as I found out more about it, I'm like, oh, it was rubbish. <laughs> Everything was dirty and nothing was ever open. And swinging, you know, the swinging 60s was like 20 cool people knocking around West London. That was about it. Uh, it was dirty, yeah. and, dirty and nothing was ever open. No, it rubbish. The line. <laughs> if you watch these TV shows, you're like, oh my God, it looks so cool. They make life look like a, a Wes Anderson film, don't they? But actually, it's yeah. all just dirty and nothing's ever open. <laughs> but then also nothing. the great thing about her is like, she's so quintessentially English. I'm quite an English person and it was made with american money so they had a lot of money to make it it was i think it was the most expensive tv show in britain at the time it's got the vibes of like 1960s batman or something sort of cartoon <laughs> excellent but it, but everything is english it's all like english locations very english people so in a, in a it's shot in a very american way yeah excellent but she's gonna lounge next to you while you're watching your tv shows in this travel lodge perhaps she'll be on the chair don't know exactly how she'll sit what is there you'd like to ask the character of miss peel of course probably could you put that cigarette out uh, <laughs> yeah it's illegal now yeah, it's yeah, you're not allowed to smoke in hotel rooms anymore emma <laughs> you're not gonna like it when we tell you about vapes now are you <laughs> maybe i'd ask her how she got away with drinking so much like in the avengers they're constantly drinking champagne <laughs> they're solving <laughs> crimes and being incredibly clever and and just necking champagne because <laughs> her her sidekick is a is like a man in a in a bowler hat and he's like the the absolute American idea of what an Englishman should look like. He's got a bowler hat and an umbrella. And a cane. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then to your third TV show, uh, and this is a TV show that gets you sweating. I don't know. Well, stop me if it's. Have you had the Sopranos yet? Yeah, we, we might have, have had it with Clive Tildesley. Oh, we may have. But you can absolutely have it if it, that's what it means to you. Well, you it's kind it. of interchangeable because it could be it could be the Sopranos, it could be Narcos. We definitely had Narcos as well. That's another yeah, have. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. well let's go. With no, that, Ed, that's fine. You you tell us whatever they mean to you. Well, basically, the reason they make me sweat, um, particularly the Sopranos, I, it just looks. I just watch this stuff. I, I love watching it and and it gives me such anxiety because I just imagine like committing crimes like that must be so stressful. And because I live in South East London, sometimes you see drug dealers driving around and I'm like, I couldn't do that job because I'd just be in a, in constant anxiety that I've got like a bootload of cocaine and I'm driving around. And, <laughs> How uh, do you know they're drug dealers? They walk around with like one of the Domino's things. I mean, I literally think giving people drugs in the street. So Yeah, that'd do it, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm pretty sure they're drug dealers. Unless, uh, you know, I, I don't know, unless they're, unless they're just delivering 
really expensive bags of saf- saffron to uh, people who are into their Yeah, I, th- I think you're right there. They're not doing it very uh, coy, are they? They're not doing it undercover. you think that would be the first thing? Hiding in plain sight, I suppose. Well, yeah, in central London. Yeah, no, I get it. I'd be the very same. I'd be an absolute wimp about that. I'd constantly be in fear that, mm. oh, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get told off. <laughs> Which yeah, is probably why Tony Soprano is in therapy for the whole of the Sopranos, you know, because he's it's getting to him. And it's one of the only shows that kind of acknowledges that that anxiety that would come with that line of work. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So I find I'm just constantly on the edge of my seat, like, oh, God, I just couldn't live my life like that. What I know about the Sopranos, and I've, ne- I've never watched the full series, it's got that very famous... Uh, scene isn't it on the last episode? Don't they fade to black? Isn't that quite a a famous scene? Is it a first yes, show to ever do that? Curious about it, yes. And I'd know, I'd, I'd read a lot about. So so I came to Sopranos very late when it came out. I, it's probably one of the worst mistakes I made in my life. <laughs> probably <laughs> getting married too young and uh, watching the not watching the Sopranos. Yeah, you really have to you really have to watch the Sopranos because a friend like I was it was there was his friend of mine is a screenwriter who got me into it and I was telling talking to him about how great Breaking Bad is and he went yeah yeah it's good but at the end of the day it's all just recycled Sopranos isn't it and I was like oh really and he was like yeah it's the it's the TV show that brought about the second golden age of TV it's the show that changed everything every single screenwriter has watched the Sopranos in its entirety. I was like, oh, I've never seen it. He was like, you work in TV and you've never watched Sopranos. This was 20 <laughs> years after it came out. Because I'd watched the first episode going, oh, it's just gangsters, isn't it? The Mafia. I've seen I've seen Goodfellas. I don't need to watch this. And it is, it's a beautifully crafted bit of telly. Every single episode is outstanding. All the acting in it is incredible. The storylines are just absolutely knockout. And it is still groundbreaking to this day. It's just on every level an incredible piece of work. Yeah, of all the great American screenwriting, it's sort of The Wire, Breaking Bad and Sopranos, isn't it? Now, in lockdown, I was trying to commit to one of these shows I hadn't seen, and I hadn't seen Breaking Bad either at that time. So I committed to Breaking Bad, so I still have not got around to Sopranos either, but I know how important it is to people. Could you just briefly describe for anybody that has been living under a rock like us that hasn't seen it, what it is about? It's not just one family, is it? It's a whole, it's the whole thing. Yeah, was it, so yeah, it's, it, it starts off with um, this guy in therapy and it becomes apparent through the course of the therapy. I think he says he works in waste management, but it, you gra- she gradually starts waste, to realise, yeah. oh, he's a gangster. And uh, yeah, he's, so he's, he's got the crime. He's got the crime. <laughs> I can see what you're doing there, though. It's a nice idea. He's got, the, he's got the crime family, obviously, and then he's got his own family at home. And so the, the reason it works so well is, and I've, I found this working in TV, like the very often the most successful stuff I've done has been to do with family. So like Mary, Mum and Dad was, it's all about family. People really plug into it. And the clever thing about The Sopranos is it's it's his family at home and then also his crime family as well. So you've got double family. <laughs> double family equals double success. Yeah. Double and some of the enemy. crime family are his actual family. Like he's got his uncle. His uncle is running like a rival wing of the mafia. And so his uncle is like trying to bump his friends off. And sometimes him as well. <laughs> uh, and it's just meticulously researched as well. So like you, you, when you start reading about up on stuff afterwards, you're like, oh my God, this is like all real as well. They do like, or may- maybe not so much now, but 20 years ago when they were making it, like the mafia, they literally were running the, the waste collection services and getting into politics and all that stuff. So you, 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 you learn a lot as well. <laughs> the modern day Freemasons of its time. Absolutely. Yeah, is there a standout episode for you, Ed, without maybe spoiling it too much? There's a great one where they get where two of them get lost in the woods 
Uh, so again, it's a bit a bit like one of those sitcom situations where you know some they're just they're just stuck in some woods. A box around. episode type thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's when the writers really get to show off, you know. Yeah. There's not a lot going on apart from them just walking around in the woods talking to each other, and uh, yeah, it's like a really famous episode. I mean, and then, and then I mean, the ending is so good because I because when it came out, I thought, well, I'm never going to watch Soprano, so I'll read about the ending. So I read about it. I was like, oh right. So I knew what the ending was. And even then, when it ended, I was like, oh, my God, it's the best ending I've ever seen. Some people like to whinge about it. I think it's incredible. I watched it. I must have watched it about 10 times over and over again. Just the last five minutes. Brilliantly done. Wow. Yeah, I think I do know what it is, but I'm not going to say it. Do they give a definite ending or is it up to interpretation? Oh, people say it's up to interpretation, Mm, but it's not. Pretty obvious what's happened, actually. My main character dies in Ice Mose. That's not going mad. Well, you know, <laughs> it does take a lot of guesswork. Um, Eddie, it's a world away from uh, the segue I'm about to go into, which was um, uh, not um, waste management, but being the warm up on Later Live on Jules Holland. <laughs> and I was going to ask you, what's it like being the warm up on a show that is not necessarily, it's not a comedy show, and it's not necessarily a show where the crowd needs to be going mad, like sort of Saturday Night Takeaway or Loose Women. Was that a difficult gig to warm up a crowd that fundamentally just watch and then clap? Firstly, where did you get this from? Well, it's, it, it's, it's real, but where is that? Where is that on the internet? Well, it's like you the Sopranos. It's been meticulously researched. Ed. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was quite early on in my stand-up career. Must have been like 2004 or something. And my agent was the agent of the person who normally did the warm-up. And then they dropped out. So she said, oh, you can do it, can't you? So I went in. It was the worst experience of my entire life. Oh, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had to stand in the studio with like four different bands tuning up. And the audience basically consisted of like record execs who didn't want to listen to you. And I didn't. I hadn't done an awful lot of comp. I, did, I mostly did material in those days. I hadn't done a lot of comparing. So I just stood there doing my stand-up material with nobody listening to me. Did it all. The show started. And then um, I was sitting in the dressing room thinking, oh, God, that was horrible. No one laughed <laughs> at all. So, and then the producer came in and said, oh, by the way, uh, we all, we do the, we do the show in one take. But if anything's gone wrong, there'll be a 20-minute lull while we set up for retake. So you just need to come in and fill for 20 minutes. I sat in the dressing room with my head in my hands thinking, I haven't got 20 minutes. I've done, tw- I've done my 20 minutes. I've got nothing. And no one's going to listen to me. And I sat there, heart in my mouth, like, oh, God, oh, God, thinking I was going to be sick. And then it ended. And Jules Holland is such an incredible pro. They just said, no, we've got it all in one. And then I got to go home and I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, never did it again. <laughs> well, I am really pleased we brought that up. Yeah. The bands that are warming up, were they big bands that ever amounted to anything? God, I can't remember who they were now. I was so distracted. The only band I remember was the Ordinary Boys. And that's because the lead singer um, I found out years later um, used to go out with my wife. <laughs> oh, my God, that's insane. That's amazing. Yeah, just by a weird coincidence, he was a he was a boyfriend a few years before we met. He wasn't at that recording at the same time, was he? Your, your, yeah, he was. Wife. Yeah, he was one of the bands tuning up. Yeah, was in as in your wife uh, wasn't there at the same time? I don't think she was. I don't know. You know what? I've never asked her because that would have been a fantastic been, crossover. <laughs> Since you do stand up for the twenty minutes, and then her boyfriend at the time tuning up for the gig. Okay, who's this yeah. funny fellow who's got twenty minutes and no more of material? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I should probably, I, should, I probably shouldn't hey, remind her because then she might go, "Oh God, that was you," was and then uh, she'll lose all attraction for me. 
Well, I'm sorry. If if if, if it all goes pear-shaped after this, Ed, I am sorry for approaching the subject. <laughs> but thank you. That was really interesting. Yeah, we've all had awful gigs like that. So that is absolutely fair enough. But just doing it the once, I think that is basically. definitely up there with my I think it's probably my second worst gig. My first worst gig was when I had to entertain a, a load of Royal Marines who just come back from Iraq. Oh, <laughs> oh bloody hell. Yeah, that please, went as well please. as you could expect, really. <laughs> oh God! Did you do your standard material, or did you try and tailor something that you thought would be more appropriate? When you're getting well, shot at sea, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I was only like I was only a few years into my stand-up by then, so again, I was a little bit too tied. These days, I'm much more freestyle, but uh, I was far too tied into my material. So, yeah, I was like, you know what, these guys need ten minutes of me talking about my days in boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> they did Why not did they agree. Go down so badly was it because they just had no reaction, or they physically hated it? No, I say so. I came on. I did my first joke, which was was always a banker. Like always got a laugh, and like two of them just went, huh. and I was like, oh dear. Right. Did the next joke, nobody laughed. Did the next joke, nobody laughed. And then after that, they just started screaming taxi. Oh, oh Christ! Submarine, as it were. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Bang. Get the taxi. <laughs> Oh my good! Uh, we were part of this, uh, like this, this sort of stand-up competition uh, a couple of years ago, and we got through to like you know, the final, whatever you know how these things go. And it was in Eastley, which is not, I oh, don't Christ. think, famous for loving sort of alternative comedy. And we were dressed as pirates. We were kind of doing a character. Jim Davidson is performing this week there. Yes, that, that shows you the level. That's the crowd. But you know, we're not going to say no to doing it. So we thought we'd still do it. Like we've been doing this in London, where obviously it goes down far better and to younger people yeah. so we came on and my god it was so bad it was what we would describe as sarcastically silent yeah. you know i'm sure you've experienced that perhaps perhaps you haven't but yeah where it's so so silent it's like you, you must be joking <laughs> yeah well they're yeah, with the where this kind of crowd where they're just offended by your very existence absolutely but it's like not even like nobody's tittered it's so silent it's like they've had a meeting before and said let's see if we can hold it and not even like <laughs> Cough. It's like they were watching an Ibsen yeah. at the time, not people dressed as pirates. Yeah. yeah, and it was so bad that we were almost laughing, and it's sort of gone beyond the point of this being a bad gig now, because it's no longer awkward, because you've pushed through that barrier of it being like, this isn't going great, to this is so bad, just enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think those gigs are so important, because you once you've had one or two of them, you're like, oh, well, that's that's the worst it can ever get. And that, that really helps with your nerves, because even if things are going badly, you're like, well, at least it's not. At least it's not Taunton Army Base in 2004. <laughs> at least it's not the Eastleigh Concord as well. And, and then you've got on, you do Concrete Plasto now, don't you? You've done it for ages, haven't you? And that's yeah, well, better, since 2004, weirdly, Ooh. of all the years to have chosen. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's been a great little gig, that. Yeah, I did I did a, a, I did a very sparsely attended comedy gig in Camden one one night with about nine people and the guy running it worked at Glastonbury and he I guess you know thought I held my own all right and he was like do you want to come and talk to loads of people on drugs at Glastonbury <laughs> I assume that's them on drugs not you otherwise it's a hell of yeah. an offer <laughs> <laughs> the, the compare really goes to pieces yeah so yeah I've been uh yeah I've been doing it ever since and you did a big top or something like a, a circus entertainment big top yeah yeah so I started I mean I've done loads of different stages over the years but yeah last year I was in the circus big top so yeah 3,000 people yeah a lot yeah. of fun and also really terrifying because you're watching people with doing like trapeze acts with no netting or anything and you and you realize that 
if one of them falls off and breaks their neck, you're the one who's got to go on stage and, you know, tell the crowd what's what's (laughs) Wasn't that great? Anyway, (laughs) do your 20 minutes. (laughs) Well, that's awesome, Ed. And I'm sure eventually when you do take over the running of the whole in Glastonbury, it will no longer be the John Peel stage. It will be the M Peel stage. Oh, of course. Good. Ah, Now, now that's about as well as it went down in the Uh, the Coral Club in East. (laughs) No, no, I like it. I like it. That's called a hashtag callback. I should not be returning to that again. (laughs) We can call it the tent with man appeal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you must say yes in this industry. Yes. We build upon yes, it. Yes, and. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, you sit in a dark corner yeah. now. <laughs> Let's move on to your fourth and last TV show. Uh, this is a free hit show. Uh, any genre, any TV show that didn't maybe fit into any of the other categories. It could be your favourite TV show. Anything at all. The Prisoner. Have you ever heard of The Prisoner? I have because I went to the place where it's filmed with my father. Uh, I can't, I can't you both got down for drugs, money, yeah. didn't you? Twenty years right. Bloody right. It's in this beautiful. I don't know where the bloody hell is. Cleethorpes, mate. You're a fuck knows. It's near but Port it, Maddock. Yeah, that's it. That's it. North and Wales, it's, it's beautiful, Marian. isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? I've never seen it, but it bloody looked good. Yeah, it's so it's. Uh, I uh, I think I was about fourteen years old, and I turned on Channel Four one night, late at night, and there was the most mental 1960s thing I'd ever seen. I had no idea what was going on for half an hour. I was like, "What the hell is this?" And then I looked up in the tv guy the next day I was like the prisoner never heard of it and then luckily they started they'd, they'd only shown one episode randomly as like a weird tv night and then luckily a few months later they started re-showing the whole series so i got to watch it from the beginning yeah the first episode is uh, a guy there's a brilliant opening sequence he like he resigns from his job uh, gets in his car gets home he's packing to get away somewhere and then some guys in top hats turn up put gas into his house gas him and he wakes up in this place called the village and nobody will tell him where he is and nobody has a name everyone just has numbers and he's number six and they try to find the person in charge and he can only find number two he doesn't know who number one is they made 17 episodes of it and every single episode is him trying to escape the village (laughs) there's a man trapped in a village trying to get out it's amazing does he just keep getting dragged back by the end of every episode and then it's well he literally gets dragged back yes so the so the he goes into a shop at the in the first episode to buy a map and the man (laughs) And the, and the map just says uh, the village. Oh. It just says the village, the sea, the mountains. And he's like, oh, can I have a, a bigger map? And he goes, oh, yes, yes, you can. In colour, much more expensive. He goes, yes, yes, bigger map, please. And then he gets one. It's, it's a much bigger map. He folds it out and it still just says the village, the sea, the mountains. <laughs> That's quite a good joke, actually, <laughs> in his own entity. And every time he tries to go over the mountains or cross the sea, a massive white ball appears and, and suffocates him and drags him back into the village. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it's completely surreal. Home. It's completely, it's just, it's everything I love about the 60s, just utterly bonkers. It would n- never get made now. The story of how they made it is just like hilarious. Like they spent so much money on it. No one knew what the hell was going on. The guy, the guy in it, Patrick McGowan, he had like complete creative control because he'd been in a very successful series beforehand called Danger Man. So he was allowed to do whatever the hell he wanted. And uh, yeah, what he wanted to do was something completely mental that no one had ever seen before. And uh, and it was another a bit like Sopranos. Actually, the last episode was so controversial that he actually had to leave the country. I mean, I, so I feel like we should. Spo- could you spoil this and talk to us about this? I feel like if he's got to leave the country, it's worth knowing what the ending is. Well, all I'm going to say is, well, he's trying to find out num- who number one is. And in the last episode, when people did find out, they were not happy about it. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's either himself then in it, or you know, Jules Holland comes in, John Mayer. <laughs> Oh my god! That actually sounds really quite. Cool. It actually sounds like something that would 
fly on Netflix now if it was made as like a dystopian kind of world. It kind of it kind of would wash, I think, these days. It's a cool concept. They did they did a remake. People have tried to remake it and they did a remake like ten years ago. It wasn't very good. But yeah, if I'd say seek out the original. Watch the first episode. I guarantee you will be I I played when I went to Port Marion, um I actually went on my honeymoon. <laughs> We're finding out quite a lot about your your marriage life. Here. Yeah, it's it's just like, I'm so, this is how much of a, a nerd I am about the prisoner. <laughs> I, I took my wife there, and she liked it so much. She 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 suggested it as our honeymoon. Oh, just, okay, wow. Well, you knew she was the one then. Yeah, yeah. My mum and dad took me took me as a as a treat to stay as well because the whole the whole place is actually a hotel, and you can stay in all the little buildings. And it was the the place Port Marion is just as bonkers as the TV show The Prisoner. It was just this crazy guy who bought this land in Wales and filled it full of reclaimed buildings. And I actually filmed it twice on CBBC. We did a song about it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been a big, big part of my life. And as just from randomly turning on Channel 4 one night. Wow, as three hits go, that is about as good as we could get for a personal connection. This has become a generational pilgrimage as well. Your parents have done it. You've done it with your wife. Have you taken your kids yet? Yeah, yeah, we took our kids last year actually, and they absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's the sort of place kids love because there's loads of little alleyways and little, you know, there's woods to explore and all that sort of stuff. And then, so I, I sat them down and I got them to watch the first episode of The Prisoner. They absolutely loved it. Oh, that's oh, awesome! That's amazing. What that's so cool. Yeah. You didn't make it an immersive experience where you took them the white balls suffocating their faces. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just chasing them around the house with a plastic bag. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then to your last choice. And this is your second bonus choice. Uh, It's the food or snack item that you could eat throughout the entire weekend in Preston. You only get to eat one thing, but you get an unlimited supply of this. It would have to be malt dip. Oh, do I know what this is? What the frick is that? No, what is that? So, uh, as I might have mentioned before, I went to to a boarding school and in the and the boarding school, like all all the best boarding school, it had a tuck shop. Of course, I'm hoping malt dip is not a euphemism. I'm no, it's, it's a not. No, snack. don't worry, it's not soggy biscuit. No. <laughs> <laughs> no so malt there, there was a, so they had like jars of like weird stuff, and I think it, I think it must have been like some leftovers from when they made Maltesers or something. So it was a jar of like smashed up powdered what you find inside Malteser. And little bits of chocolate. What, like the honeycomb? Yeah, yeah, kind of. It's kind of honeycomb, but it's malty, isn't it? And uh, so you could buy a bag of it. It's basically a bag of malt dust with 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 little chocolate bits smashed up inside it. And I'd take it back to my dormitory and eat it with a spoon. And it was amazing stuff. And I used to take the home bags from my brother as well. He loved it. You couldn't find it anywhere else. Uh, the man who who ran the tuck shop got sacked for stealing um, the TVs and videos from the classrooms. <laughs> And uh, I never saw Malt Dip again. And um, yeah, and I, I spent many Saturday nights watching films or TV with my brother with bowls of Malt Dip. Bowls Lots of, of stuff. Malt Dip. So is it just like a load of dust with a spoon? Like, would it feel yeah. like a whole teaspoon? Massive bags of sugar, really. It's just like it's just like eating an entire sack of sugar. Was it not so dry in your mouth? Did it not like clag up like the cinnamon challenge? Well, it's just like, I mean, not really. If you eat a bag of Maltesers, do you feel like you're going to uh, suffocate? I don't know. You feel well, great. Well, no, but I've got yeah. a bit of chocolate surrounding it and yeah. it's in like a small ball. But if you're shoveling like a spoon of, of dust into your mouth, is, is that not going to clag? Well, no, because you've got the chocolate as well. You've got the smashed up bits of what I guess would have been the old. I think I imagine what where it came from was there was probably some machine in the Mars factory where all the bits of Maltese are collected in a tray and they just threw it in a bucket. 
and sold it to anyone stupid enough to buy it. That makes sense. Ed, when you first brought it up, I thought it was this. Do you remember this? Uh, I'll show you a picture of Chocolate. Oh, yes, KP. the KP Chocolate. Yeah, so I thought it was that, and then I was looking it up, and I couldn't find a, a singular product of a malt no. that you're talking about. Do you think this is what it perhaps became? Because the that's what I dip. thought you meant as soon as you mentioned. No, it. I do remember those choc dips. They were always uh, very. It was always very annoying to me as a child that the chocolate side of it wasn't deep enough, <laughs> and you'd always be, you'd always eat the choc. You'd always run out of chocolate before you ran out of the dipping sticks, and then you yeah. just have some breadsticks left and excess dipping sticks. It's just dry. Yeah, yeah. I can't yeah, find it's a not that, picture it? of it. That's probably uh, what is malted. Oh yeah, malted milk powder. Yeah, I suppose it was a bit like malted. Yeah, I guess. It, yeah, I guess you could probably looks... make your own version by getting some Horlicks. And then smashing some chocolate up and throwing it in that and eating it. Okay, it's quite a lot. Well, maybe of work, maybe we'll crush up a bag of Maltesers and have a little go at doing it with a spoon. Yeah, but you got to melt it. Yeah, that would be the more expensive way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Buy buy five boxes of Maltesers, put them in a pillowcase, and smash them with a brick, and uh, you'll have some malt dip. <laughs> and this is a—is this a sort of guilty pleasure? Because obviously it is sort of so bad for you. And when was the last time you had it? It's been a while, I guess. Yeah, I mean, God, literally. Last time I had it must have been when I was 16, 17 years old. Wow. When you when you were finally about to hit puberty. Yes. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's what was stopping stopping the onset of puberty. Stunting growth. <laughs> it's all the malt dip inside you. Yeah, just too much malt dip in my system. The hormones couldn't be released. <laughs> We've tried everything the doctors can't understand. Yeah. God, you've yeah, you've cracked it. That was we why. really have. We did say we psychoanalyzed and we finally got to the bottom of things. <laughs> Let's go through your list then, Ed. You've got a TV show that makes you think of your childhood. That is Red Dwarf. You've got a TV show that gets you laughing. That's Big Mouth. Uh, you're going to be taking M. Peel, which is Dame Diana Riggs' character in The Avengers, to spend the weekend with. You're going to be watching a TV show that gets you sweating. That's The Sopranos. You're going to be taking your free hit. That's The Prisoner. And you're going to be consuming an unlimited supply of malt dip, just snorting it oh with old God. Rig. This sounds like the best weekend ever. <laughs> it's like a stag weekend, isn't it? But sort of solo. Yeah, you, you've also got to find out whether your wife did see you at uh, the Jules Holland show. Warming no, up I told you, no, I'm keeping that secret. Boy. I don't want her to remember it. I don't want anyone to remember it. I don't think she's going to run away with one of the ordinary boys now. Have you seen a state of them? Yeah. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> well, Ed, thank you so much yes. for your time and your options. That was a fantastic plethora of TV options, and it was uh, excellent to talk to you as well. Thank you very much for reminiscing with us. Oh, no, it was an absolute pleasure. Well, there we go. The wonderful Ed Petrie on You Have Been Watching with Luke and Elliot. Childhood dream come true. What a jolly tumble down memory lane with Ed Petrie, or Ed Petrie official, as he can be found on Instagram, or on X at Ed Petrie. He's got a variety of projects always ongoing, so just flick on the old telly box or go onto any online outlets and you can watch him there. Two things from me. I wonder if his wife was at that Jules Holland night. You know, she was going out with someone else at the time. Wouldn't that be absolutely incredible if she saw him die on his ass doing that warm-up gig? I reckon she's got to have done. I because she so. was if she was dating the other guy at the same time, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because you'd never be not in the same room as the person you're dating, ever. No, 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 you must all... Always be joined at the hip. <laughs> like a, a policeman and like a, a robber. Handcuffed. Them's the rules. <laughs> also, I did go and watch a couple of episodes of Big Mouth, one of his TV choices. It was kind of like the... It's kind of like a sex education video, but ultra rude. 
Um, really quite funny, actually. Really good. Sort of about puberty, animated. Can't really describe it to you. You'd have to go and see it. But a lot of fun. I liked it. And absolutely fascinating that he's racking out these uh, continuity bits so often and he's never watching the TV shows. Like him, I always thought he was just chilling out watching the TV shows. But of course, he's not making up the rest of it on the spot. That would be silly. That's the magic of it. It looks like it's made up, but of course he's going through the script. He's getting out show prepared, out show's getting pampered and makeup and quaffered. <laughs> he's getting Greg Davis to nearly call kids... That was a brilliant story. Well, thank you very much to Ed. Uh, We've told you where you can find him. Where can you find us? Well, you can find us on various social medias. Uh, Well, what is it? TikTok, um, Twitter, at Luke and Elliot, or Instagram, at Luke and Elliot Comedy. X now, of course. Oh, did I say Twitter? You said Twitter. Oh, shit. You old (laughs) fuddy-duddy. You old man. Ed probably still calls it Twitter. I still do as well. X, I'm not bowing down to Elon Musk with this one. No, I know you've always said it as well. You, you've said to him, you know, I'm staunchly against everything you stand for and I will not be buying a Tesla. And it's not because we don't have the money. Well, we met up the other week in a patisserie, Valerie. Met up. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, no, no, that's... Uh, oh, that's Zuckerberg's one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I could have finished that joke myself, would have been really good. But uh, I haven't got the energy these days. It's not worth it, is it? It's not worth it. Well, thanks very much for watching. I'm talking to you, watching me. Say to everyone, thanks very much for watching. And thank you, the listener, for listening. <laughs>